Morning, morning. How's everybody doing? Greetings, friends online. Stoffers, I see you. I was having dinner at the Stoffers last night. They said, we're going to be online tomorrow, so hello. Uh, Jones out west, we see you too. Um, It's so fun that we get to do this and be like in many places while we're also gathered here. So really fun. Hey, um, I don't know if you know this game. You've probably played this game if you've been around kids. It's called the Y game. Uh, I didn't know I was playing this game about a month and a half ago. I was at uh, Great Wolf Lodge on the water slides, and one of the kids said to me, hey, why is the water slide so high? Oh, because that's how they built it. Why? And, like, seriously, like, why? Just, like, this honest why? Um, well, uh, because people like speed, like going fast. It's awesome. Well, why? Well, uh... Uh, kinetic, potential energy. There's this transfer of energy happening as you go from the top to the bottom. At this point, I realized what was happening. We're like four or five Ys in. Uh, So I just roll with it. And the kid's like, why? I'm like, well, because science. Uh, Why? I don't know. And I just screamed down the water slide as I, I went down. It's a, it's a great question, why? Because it means that you're trying to make sense of the world around you, like you're trying to connect something that's happening to you. Um, we're starting this new series, like Dan said, why? Questions Jesus asked. It's fascinating, just those words, questions Jesus asked, because it means that, uh, that he was making sense of the world, perhaps, you know? We're not gonna explore that one fully, but that's a, that's a fascinating one. Were his questions rhetorical? Did he know the answer to all the questions he asked? Why ask if he did? (laughs) We've all had that incredible teacher that like was able to hone in on this concept of I can tell them something, can be talking head, or I can, they can discover something. And if they discover something, they're more likely to apply it and retain it. And we've all had that teacher that went more than talking head and just like helped us discover something. I think Jesus did it for that reason sometimes. So in this series, we're going to look at three whys today, and don't miss next Sunday, obviously Easter Sunday, uh, as we make sense of the situation that Jesus and his disciples, the men and women who are following him, and we find ourselves in as we put ourselves into this story. Now, we, we do love to ask why, but there are superficial whys, like why is the water slide so high, whys, and then there are like whys that get deeper, and this happens to Everybody. Three, year, three years old or 33 years old, like, or beyond. Like, everyone asks why about something, and it means something to them. They, they're intentionally searching for an answer. Here's some of the deeper whys. Uh, why did that happen to me? A diagnosis, anything. Uh, why did that happen to them? A war in Europe, you know. Why did my friends say that about me? Or why did my parents not get along? Why did they split up? We've all asked why, and it's it's a good sign because it shows that we're trying to make sense of the world around us and connect some dots. The first why in this series is a why from Jesus, and it appears in one of his uh, most needing to make sense of the world moments ever. 
He's been put to death on the cross, experiencing the final hours of his life. And here's the question that he asks. Matthew 27, 46, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now that's a biggie. Uh, And to understand how this question emerges, we have to rewind to a few hours earlier, just the night before, to understand what happened in this moment. The setting is the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a place I've actually gotten to visit about 15 years ago, and it's, um, it looks like this, modern-day Gethsemane, olive trees that are 700 years old, and it's a beautiful space. It sits at the foothills of the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives overlooked Jerusalem, an important place uh, for so many faiths, the place where Jesus spent his time. And this garden is special to Jesus because he would go there uh, to get away from people. He had different places of solitude, but he, he loved being in quiet, the foothills, the mountains. He loved spending time with God, his father. And uh, it's, it's a place where he gained confidence. When he was with God, he gained confidence. When he was with God, he gained clarity about what he was to do next. He retreated to this place often. Here's a couple moments from the gospels that say uh, what Jesus said. He, he, he said things about this, like him. Things like this about himself and the Father. The Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Do you sense that like Jesus is like one with the Father? And in his next passage, he says, I and the Father, we are one. Like there's no mistaking it. We are not separate. I and the Father are one. Like there's this union. There's this deep oneness to their relationship. On this night, the Garden of Gethsemane, Uh, the oneness of their relationship is changing. It's it's actually breaking. And this intimate, deep oneness that he's had is starting to feel different. The place of retreat for Jesus has become a place of anguish and pain for him. For three years, so he's 33, Jesus, in this moment. And for three years, he started when he was 30. For these three years, He's been with people telling them, here's what my dad's kingdom is like. It's like this, it's like this. And he's been teaching people. He's been healing people. Miracles have been happening. But now he knows it's the end. Like he knows this is, this is it. This is the final week. And we sit here on April 10th, approaching, kind of remembering his final week. But he knows what happens at the end of this week. And he feels all of that current pain, potential pain. And then on top of all that, he starts to feel this breaking happening, something changing about this really defining relationship. So he comes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he's bringing all his disciples uh, and he invites a few of them to come further with him into the garden. Peter, James, and John were like his closest of the, of the disciples. And he invites them to come further with him and he, he just doesn't want to be alone because he has the sense that this is, this is the night. This is my last night on earth. And he invites people to come with him. I mean, we, we haven't felt that, but we've felt anguish before, right? Some pain like that. It's this pain where the idea of being alone is too much and you just need to be with someone. That's what it is for Jesus. It's becoming like that. 
He says to the three friends, Peter, James, and John, he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He goes a little farther into the garden. He's by himself there behind him. He goes a little farther and he literally falls to his knees, like just crippled, falls down in anguish. And he says this, Mark 14, 36, Abba, which is just Papa, Daddy. He says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. The cup, it's kind of a cryptic word there. What does Jesus mean by cup? Well, this cup refers to the experience that he's about to go through, the emptying he's about to go through, the pain, the agonizing betrayal, the sham trial with lying witnesses that's going to happen in the next few hours. He's thinking about this horrific, agonizing cross, like he knew how he was going to die. He told them the cross was something that was real and was going to happen. This is a desperate person, Jesus, on his knees, who sees the road ahead and is just asking to avoid some of the further pain ahead of him. I'd love to tell you that the response from God and what it was, but we don't have one. There isn't a response. The other end of the phone line is quiet, silence. And that quiet hurts. When you don't get an answer to your request from your dad, it hurts. And this affects Jesus, like he's been affected physically, but he's sweating, sweating drops of water, sweat, but then it turns into blood, like drops of blood, so he's in physical pain. There is a severe physical pain, but now the emotional pain is exceeding the physical pain for him. It's quiet for a moment, and then the chaos begins as one of the 12, Judas, betrays him literally hands him over to the enemies. He's arrested and he's taken to get this six trials between 10 p.m. and 8 8 a.m. on Friday. Like the courthouse is open certain hours here in Olathe. But this just proves that these guys were desperate to end his life. Whoever we can scramble, whenever we can scramble them, if it's 2 a.m., it doesn't matter. We're putting the trial on six different trials. This little line in the story sticks out, Matthew 27, verse 1. It says, early in the morning, after kind of the six trials were over, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. You see, he knew the cross was coming, but they were still like, what's, what's the method here? How are we going to end this man? And they, they're getting eager at the thought of ending his life. They can't assassinate him because that will make everyone who loves him furious. But if they can get somehow the government to bless this, this execution, then that will be better for them. And so they ask for his death and death by crucifixion. That's how the Roman Empire handled death. And we know crucifixion was a real deal. We've like discovered hundreds of cases, historical evidence of soldiers being crucified along the road after captured by the Romans. And the crucifixion was a real deal until the third century when the emperor of Rome outlawed it. But for three centuries or so here, crucifixion, the most horrific way to die, was a real deal. Brutal and humiliating it was. And 
The mode of death penalty in the first century was this, reserved for convicted criminals, and it was a shaming ritual where a person carried the horizontal beam of their wooden cross themselves. And after carrying that portion of the cross and being beaten and whipped along the way, they were laid down on another piece of wood and then the horizontal piece was put across the vertical piece forming the cross. A crown of thorns. Uh, Jesus' crucifixion was unique because there was mockery involved. They put a crown of thorns above his head and pressed it into his scalp. They put a purple robe on him to say, you are the king of the Jews, you say. So here's a robe. Then, after loaded up with the cross, crown of thorns, purple robe, being spit on, mocked, abused, then came the walk up the hill where you would finally be killed. His body was at this point too weak to carry the cross. And so the soldiers said, someone else carry the cross. And they pulled a person from the crowd. After dragging his bloodied body to the top of the hill, they put him on the cross. Nails seven inches deep put into both hands and feet. For three hours, he hung, nailed to the cross, apparently waiting silently for death in a state of near paralysis due to his wounds. And this is where we hear Jesus ask his question. After three hours of hanging on the cross, he's humiliated, he's suffering, he's mocked and mourned by people below. And this happens next. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He just asks the question we opened with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now his uh, direct address of God in this moment has changed. From the garden on Thursday night, where it's Abba, Papa, Father, to Friday afternoon where it's now, my God, my God. The desperation is clear, like the, the my God, my God, the, the times two factor there. It just screams, hear me. To me, it feels like Jesus is saying, you are still my God, but I am having a really hard time calling you Father right now. Because what? What parent would allow this suffering for their child? Not a one. These why questions are fascinating. Dan and I were kicking this around this week and we realized these why questions have kind of two aspects, right? They are, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But there's a core question there. It's, have you forsaken me? Has this thing that we're asking why about, has this thing actually happened? Have you forsaken me? And that's the first question to contend with. Has God the Father forsaken his son, Jesus? And it means, what, means we have to ask, what is forsaken? Well, forsaken literally means abandoned. 
So has God the Father abandoned his son to die on the cross alone with his request to be rescued and ignored? Has he really done this? And the answer is yes. How do we know? Because that's exactly what happened. There was no rescue. Jesus is God forsaken in this moment. God has abandoned him on the cross. It's an awful, terrifying feeling for Jesus. Moments later, he, he cries out for the final time and he dies. How can this be? I'm found asking myself a lot of the questions that Jesus asked now. Why did you forsake your son? Why did you leave him alone? Why did you abandon him? Why did you forsake him? And it's for a greater purpose than you or I could have ever imagined. He allowed Jesus to die because it was the only way for things to be restored. There was one way to secure a relationship between God and his people. Things had been perfect. There was a different garden where things had been perfect and then sin happened. And not just their sin, but my sin yesterday, my sin today, your sin yesterday, your sin today happened. The hatred we have for one another, the independence we seek from our maker, the ways we wage war in here, the ways war spills out here, All our sin, past, present, future, had a costly price. And that price was someone who lived a perfect, blameless life. The one, that one would have to suffer a death for all the sins, past, present, future. The wrongs of the whole world so they could finally be dealt with and reconciled. Later in the Bible, Paul uh, writes this about this moment. God made him who had no sin, the spotless one, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So was Jesus forsaken, abandoned on the cross? Yes. God the Father abandoned his son to bear the weight of sin and death. It was once in a moment, 2,000 years ago, his to bear Ours never to bear again. It got handled once for all time. Now, it can be easy to judge how God handled this. I find myself doing that. Because no father who especially is supposed to be the definition of love should do this, you know. And I find myself there this week wrestling with how? How do I make sense of God's character in this moment? And then, I remember this, that when Jesus suffered dying, the Father suffered the death of his only son. When Jesus suffered dying, the Father suffered the death of his only son. 
they each, father and son, could only suffer because there was great purpose in this pain. The purpose, us. 7.29 billion people on this planet Earth, us. And if there's purpose in the most severe of pain, then there can be purpose now in all of our pain. Uh, You might be in one of a few places today. Maybe you didn't know the depth of this pain for, for God, God the Father, God the Son. You didn't know the depth of the pain that Jesus endured and his dad endured. And right now, you're, you're maybe like caught off guard by that. I certainly was this week, am now caught off guard by the depth of that. And you're struck with like, how do I respond to like that depth of pain and sacrifice? Maybe you're here and you're actually in a place of pain yourself, emotional, physical, spiritual pain. And you're wondering what the purpose is for your pain. Or uh, you could find this simply unbelievable. That God, that anyone would love in that way, that would attempt to, that would succeed in loving that way. That anyone would willingly endure such pain for someone else. So the cross is the place where Jesus asks the biggest why of his life. And it's the place where you and I get to hear that even the Son of God had questions about his father. And he knows the pain of our why questions. I don't know the pain you're facing. I have no idea the pain that you're facing today. But I, I do know that you can ask God why about that pain. What I don't know as well is that God will answer your question, but I do know this, that even his own son had unanswered questions. That gives me comfort, that Jesus gets me, that I can go to a place that Jesus has already been. You might be hearing this story of this son of God, only beloved son of God, dying how he did, and for the purpose of you is moving you closer towards him. As you hear these words, like literally you're drawn to him. You came in here wondering about your pain, into this building, onto this live stream, searching for answers. And in this moment, you're hearing that there's another who loves and understands you. It's a moment to hear how much God loves you, enough to give up, enough to give up to death, the most precious thing to him, his flesh and blood son. This next song uh, the band's gonna sing is a reflection song because that's what this moment is. It's just figuring out what I said, what God's word revealed to us today and figuring out what our response is. And I want to read a few lyrics to you before the band sings it. It's called Living Hope. And it says this, how great the chasm that lay between us, how high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished. The end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. The song goes on. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages 
step down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken. I am forgiven. The King of Kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Nothing could be more true and more comforting to a people in pain. And today might be the day you step into this belief for the first time, for the umpteenth time. God has not met you on a dusty hill 2,000 years ago, but what happened on a dusty hill 2,000 years ago makes this moment holy and possible. You may be wanting to say yes, and you don't know how or what or what your response may be. And let me just offer to you that this song is our, your response. That on the other side of these words is a, is a confession that God hears and loves and embraces. Let's sing this together as you're able. Your response might be to stand. Your response might be to open your hands. Your response might be to raise your hands as you're able and you feel welcome. Let's sing this together.